Please don't hump my lamb. Dude, I am seven fingers in the Jim Beam. Get the fucking chili hot dog out of my face. Your next comedian coming to the stage. He's so funny. He's such a hoot. And making yeah, sure let me shove this well. baby out of my out of my juiced up jibs and then stoner and the fat man. Fuck you, Mark. Mark, pull up, everybody. <laughs> Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Poulos, as always. It's good to have you back. I I am in Cedar Rapids, Iowa this weekend, and uh, decided to record a podcast. I guess like most of my podcasts, I, you know, want them to be funny because I'm a comedian. And I want to keep people interested, but uh, I feel like one of the reasons I started this podcast was to uh, have the ability to kind of talk about whatever I wanted, you know, and, uh, you know, say stuff on on here that I can't really talk about on stage, because when you're on stage, they expect it to be hilarious and... Uh, and it's not always, you know. So, uh, what I'm going to talk about today is uh, is my recovery right now. Um, if you don't know, if you haven't listened to the earlier podcasts, um, pretty much my whole life I've kind of struggled with it, uh, you know, with addiction. Um, I think <coughs> it was kind of handed down you know I feel like uh, my parents struggled with it a bit and uh, quite a bit and uh, and all the kids I think we all kind of got that uh, addictive gene and it's hard to explain you know if you don't have it in you it's basically like being addicted to something is kind of like having a really shitty friend, you know, where your conscious mind is like, you know, I'm just going to do a little bit of this, you know, like I'm just going to, I'm just going to gamble for like 20 minutes and I'm going to spend like $20, you know, and then, uh, the addiction shows up with like horrible ideas and, you know, it's always there to kind of rationalize and justify your behavior so that you can continue on your destructive path. And I think what I've learned in recovery is, you know, obviously the f- the further we go down and the more compromises that we make, the harder it is to come back, which is why people always talk about Uh, before they start the 12 steps about hitting their bottom. And it's different for every person, you know. The bottom is just, you know, for some people it's either I'm going to do something to start a new path or I'm just going to give up. Like it's that 
turning point, you know, and being at my bottom, you know, I just, you know, if you've listened to the first podcast of this year where I kind of went through, I, I was dealing with a lot of stuff with, you know, my dad passing away and my brother fighting depression and, and taking his own life. It, uh, it messed with me, man. I mean, how could it have not, you know? And, uh, I do therapy once a week. Uh, actually I'm down to once every other week. And, uh, at first I kind of had that, that feeling, you know, of like protecting it from people like, oh, he's in therapy, you know? But what I found is like the more I talked about my experiences in therapy and how much it's helping me, how many other people are currently going to see a therapist or have seen one in the past. And I think it is important, you know, we, we always focus on our physical health so much, you know, the, the working out and the eating healthy and stuff. And I think a lot of people overlook mental health, you know, it's a big thing, man. You know, you can, you can start feeling sorry for yourself, you know, and feeling ashamed about your behavior. And that just begets more horrible and ashamed behaviors, you know, and what I found in therapy is like, it's a, it's an amazing thing how much it makes you feel better when you just say things out loud, you know, and I'm sure, you know, certain people, they've, they've said them to themselves in their head for years, you know, but to say them out loud to another person, you know, somehow, somehow it makes it real, you know, it feels like it's leaving your body, you know, and, uh, I am working a 12 step program right now and, uh, I've got a sponsor and, and it's, it's really good, man. You know, I know a lot of people scoff at the 12 steps, um, are not really, I think their biggest problem is, is how much higher power is used in it. As if to say, like, if you want to recover, you have to somehow, you know, mend your relationship with God if you don't believe in God or whatever. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it really focuses that much on God and, and spirituality. I think you kind of make it your own, you know. I've always been somebody who's been religious to a point throughout my life. But uh, working these 12 steps has, has really given me a new outlook on spirituality and, and, uh, and kind of speaking to a higher power. And, you know, it's just opened a lot of different doors, you know. I just, I've never felt better in my entire life right now, mentally, you know. It's just surprising how, how secrets you know, holding on to secrets all day, how that just eats away at you, you know, and how much freedom there is in knowing that there's no more secrets, you know. It's like, uh, when I first started in comedy, it was just weird, man, because, uh, 
I just always had this feeling of like when I drove out of the driveway and I was on the road, like that was a separate life. Like it was like my, you know, that stupid, uh, well, I don't mean to say stupid if you play it online, but it's like second life or whatever, where you kind of live in this virtual world and you can be whoever you want and you can do whatever you want. And and that's kind of how it felt like when I first went on the road as a comedian. Like, I was living a, a whole new set of rules, you know. I wasn't Mark the Geek from high school that, you know, didn't really fit in anywhere and had, like, one friend. And, you know, the girl I asked out in 11th grade and took out for, like, three dates ended up having a boyfriend, which I still don't really understand that one, but, you know, now I was a comedian, you know, I was the guy on stage, I was in the spotlight, and everybody wanted to know me, everybody wanted to hang out with me, and that's a tough transition to make, you know, especially, you know, for me, like, I'm sure a lot of other comedians, like, you know, they were the class clown, or tons of friends in high school, and, and, uh, I think for a lot of comedians, they get into this business, so, you know, people will see them, you know, like they kind of feel invisible, so they grab the microphone and they stand in the spotlight to say, you know, look at me, you know, you haven't looked at me ever, now I'm forcing you to look at me because I'm, I'm breaking through a barrier, and you know, there's, there's a lot of courage in that, you know, people talk about in the first couple comedy classes that I took and, and, you know, comedians books and stuff that the hardest thing is to, is to take that step on stage. You know, the minute you step onto that stage and you grab the microphone and you say words into it, you've broken through a major barrier. You know, it's that old adage that public speaking is people's number one fear and death is number two, you know? That's a old Seinfeld joke. Like, people would rather be in the coffin than doing the eulogy, you know? And I don't know, man. It was, uh, it was the first time in my life that anything, like, anything in my life, it was the first thing that I did that felt right like I always kind of felt like I just what I didn't fit in anywhere you know like I went to high school I went to college I even joined a frat initially just to for free parking if you've listened to the older episode you know and I I had good times there and had a lot of interesting experiences but I still felt like you know, that I didn't fit in anywhere. And, uh, and I, I loved it so much in the beginning that I know 100% that in the beginning of me being a stand up comic, I was addicted to stand up comedy. It's just a part of my DNA. Like, if I like something, I become kind of obsessive about it, you know, as my wife can probably attest to it. Like, I like very specific certain products over other products, you know, 
and it's like people that don't understand that you know they'll they'll be like well it's, it's pretty much the same well not to an obsessive person you know it's like i like uh i used to drink a ton of gatorade and i kind of got away from it so i'm just onto water now because the sugar intake was was probably horrible for me and the calories and stuff but when i drank gatorade like the only gatorade that i would enjoy drinking was this uh it was like X Factor fruit punch, fruit punch plus berry was the Gatorade that I like to drink, and I don't know what it was like. It fruit punch, fruit punch Gatorade was okay, but it was almost like they added like raspberry and something else to the X Factor one, which made it taste more flavorful to me. But anyways, that was the one that I like to drink. So it's like you know friends or family or whatever because a lot of the time I was drinking Gatorade I was living with my brother or my parents or stuff and they would go to the grocery and they would come back with fruit punch Gatorade and I would drink it but I wouldn't be happy about it because I would let them know like the Gatorade that I like is the x-factor one and they would always get me fruit punch and they just couldn't understand well it's x-factor fruit punch and this is fruit punch like it's just not the same you know so it's like when I became a comedian, it, you know, it just fit. Like, I had, uh, like, my my career, like, I started out doing, like, voiceover stuff for news, and I think I've covered this in other podcasts, but then I took a class on how to be a voiceover talent, and the guy told me that the way to work on your voice and, and hone it was to do live theater. It was just so strange. So I did some live theater, and uh, it was nerve-wracking. But So when I came into the comedy class that I took, I had stage experience. So it wasn't that big of a leap for me, at least, to go on stage and do stand-up, because I had already been on stage. But uh, I still remember when I delivered, like, my first three or four jokes on stage, and uh, the teacher of the class, he was like, man, he goes, you just have the most natural ability to tell a joke. Like, your timing is absolutely, like, spot on. And that's an amazing thing, man. You know, when you... You have somebody tell you that, uh, you know, you're, you're good at something, you know, it's, it's an amazing feeling. And I was, I was hooked from day one. I just, it's hard to explain, but you know, if anybody else has kind of had this experience where I had finally seen the path you know, like, uh, you know, you just go through life a lot just trying to figure out what you're supposed to be doing, you know, like, what exactly is my path supposed to be? And it just felt right and perfect, you know, I had so many different jobs before comedy, I worked, uh, bagging groceries and uh telemarketing and working at a casino and it was like 
had a four-year college degree and I'm dealing blackjack in a smoky casino. It's like, I feel like I should be doing something bigger, you know? And I was told and shown the path, so I knew what path I needed to walk, and and it was going to be an arduous one because, you know, sometimes when you see what has to be done to get from point A to point B, sometimes it's daunting. But it helps a lot when you realize that, you know, you could be one of the top contenders in that business, you know. I mean, last weekend, I went into Dubuque, Iowa, competed in a huge comedy contest called the Comedy 10K. There was 72 other comedians there. 72. Now, granted, I would say that there was probably, out of that 72, maybe 20 comedians that... uh, would give me a run for my money and I'm trying trying to brag I'm like that I'm good I just I feel like I'm more seasoned than those other comedians you know being in the business for 14 years so anyways I mean I uh I got second place out of 72 comedians it was an amazing three days just you know mentally and and spiritually and like career wise it was just like one of those magical weekends you know that kind of makes you reflect on the path that you've walked you know because like i said i got addicted to comedy when i first started like i missed so many family events birthdays anniversaries special things that I was supposed to go to so I could make it to all the open mics to work on my material. And uh, I have some regrets, but uh, I don't think I would be as successful as I am right now if I hadn't have just become completely submersed in it when I first started. But... uh, it was addictive, and I know if you're out there right now and you're like, you know, I don't know if I have an addictive personality, I can give you one question to ask yourself to find out whether or not you're addicted to something. And the question is, if all other things tell you that you should not be doing that right now, if there's all these other reasons, valid, like, current reasons that you shouldn't be drinking right now or doing drugs right now or gambling right now or engaging in whatever horrible behaviors if there's all these other things that say don't do that and you still do it I'm sorry to tell you that you're addicted to that and I know some people might say that's not that cut and dry but It's pretty simple math, you know. If you shouldn't do it and you can't not do it, you're addicted, you know. And people ask, you know, like, August will be two years that, uh, that I feel like I'm clean... (laughs) clean from gambling you know I have gambled 
in those two years, maybe five, ten, fifteen dollars here or whatever. Um, but I haven't had, um, you know, I haven't had those times where I felt lost and unable to stop. Those times where it was just overindulgence, you know. And does that does that make me two years clean? You know, I'm not two years clean from no gambling ever. I'm coming up on two years clean from losing massive amounts of money on a weekly basis. So it's like that's the question, you know. Because that's what the some of the books that I read about addiction and, and reprogramming your brain and stuff is, uh, you know, you're the biggest fallacy that people with addiction have and the fallacy that a lot of them will follow into death or madness is the idea that you can still do your addiction in moderation. And I think lately I've kind of fallen into that circle as far as my gambling goes, thinking that maybe I could do it again on a recreational basis. And even though, like, three weeks ago I lost, like, $10 and I just left, it stuck with me for a while, you know? But it's just like, I wish, I wish that I could do that, but I know that if on a regular basis I was gambling, like, five or ten bucks every once in a while, somehow I would... I would fall back into the circle and and just head back down the the dark pathway cuz it's like with addiction it's never not it's never not gone it's always there it's always going to be there you know it's like people talk about being cured it's like you're not cured the 12 steps you're just learning tools to live life free of addiction you know it's like when you are in the grips of it it's like you're in you know a big dark room and there's only one door you know that takes you into another dark room you know and then you just keep going down and down into more and more dark rooms to the point where when you look back you know they're just isn't any light left, you know, but, uh, when you start crawling your way back out, it's not that you don't find yourself in that dark room anymore. You do. It's just that there's a second door. Now there's a second door on the left that you can take. And, uh, people talk about an AA that once you go to your first AA meeting, say goodbye to ever having fun getting drunk ever again. Because all you think about now, after you slip and drink, 
is the fact that you went to that meeting to commit to be better. But that's the whole thing is like just the mere fact that you're thinking about how much of a mistake that you've made and how you have to, you know, kind of repent for it is a hell of a lot better place than you were before where you just got drunk and had no feelings about it or, you know, but it's just, it's a, it's a daily, a daily thing. You're presented with decisions every day and through therapy and the 12 steps and, you know, my sponsor and, and my amazing, beautiful wife and my miracle baby, Willow. You should just make better choices, you know? And it's just like a haze, you know, when you're in it, you know? It's like, uh, what Kiefer Sutherland said in Young Guns, if anybody's a fan of that movie, that there's a whirlwind out there. And when you get caught up in it, it's hard to get yourself out. But if you are out there, you know, and you're struggling with whatever your vice is, you know, whether it's drinking or drugs or gambling or sex or whatever, man. Just know that there's there is a way out. And you just like stand-up comedy. The hardest part is just to make that first step. You know. I still remember the first meeting I ever went to. And the two things that I'll always remember from that meeting, and I know it's supposed to be anonymous and you're not supposed to say anything that happens in those meetings, but, I mean, I'm not giving away any information as far as, like, where the meeting was or who the people were. Just their inspiring words that I take with me to this day. And uh, the, f the first guy said... You know, they said if there was any newcomers, and I said I was. And he just looked at me and he said, listen, son, if you choose recovery, today will be the worst day of your life. As every day following it will just get better and better. Now, I hold on to that. More so I hold on to... Uh, when we broke into small groups and we were kind of just letting everything go and saying what we were struggling with. This man, he was probably in his 60s or early 70s. He grabbed my hand and he said, uh, he said, God bless you, son, for finding recovery at such a young age. He said, I found it five years ago when I was whatever age, he said. And he said, my biggest regret is that I didn't find it earlier. So many years wasted. And he said, 
you hold on to this with everything you've got. And I am. I'm so grateful every day to be in a better place and on a better path. And, uh, and I guess this is a testament sometimes, too, that, you know, you never really know, you know. That person that you sit, sit next to at work that's, you know, all smiles and laughs, you may not know that they're horribly depressed, you know, and that they put on a brave face every day. I think uh I think this world would be a better place if if everybody just lived by the golden rule which you know just treat people the way that you would like to be treated. Think about that the next time, you know. You're cutting somebody off in traffic or being horrible to somebody tr- giving you your breakfast or uh you know, dropping your parents off in a nursing home and never going to see them again. Just, you know, just a conscious effort to be a better person. And, uh, I just, so many blessings that I have in my life right now. It keeps me sober. And, uh, I thank God for that. Well, this has been a, another Unbridled Enthusiasm podcast. Um, I'm sure the next one will be funny. <laughs> Every once in a while, I got stuff on my mind, and uh, I love that uh, I have this platform where I can just uh, let it go. Send it out into the world and uh, see how they take it. But, uh, yeah, if you... Uh, you can get this off of iTunes and Podbean and uh, check out largedrunkman.com for all my upcoming uh, comedy shows. But, uh, yeah, tune in next time when we talk about who knows.